I realized I'm special. I go to an HBCU. I got a very unique experience. I got an opportunity to get taught by some of the greatest minds, not just black minds, some of the greatest minds. And they taught me my worth. They taught me my history that I didn't really know existed. I feel a sense of pride. I feel a sense of honor every time I see an HBCU. Welcome to Needing Dough, the podcast presented by J.P. Morgan Chase and Uninterrupted. I'm your host, Andrew Hawkins, a.k.a. Hawk. And here on Needing Dough, we sit down with some of the biggest names in sports and entertainment to discuss the financial lessons that they've learned in their professional and personal lives. And that's where I come in. As a former NFL wide receiver, I'm here to bring you my perspective on how the lessons you're going to hear translate to you in your life. Now, before we get into this conversation featuring the GOAT, Shannon Sharp, this show is brought to you by J.P. Morgan Chase and Uninterrupted. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. It's free, it helps other people find the show, and it notifies you every time we drop a new episode. And now, I am delighted to introduce today's guest, three-time Super Bowl champion, Hall of Famer, media icon, and everybody's favorite uncle, Mr. Shannon Sharp. While Shannon is one of the best tight ends to ever play the game, he has become known for so much more. Not only has he built a career as a sports media legend, but he's also an outspoken voice for the black community. And he's an HBCU alum at historically black college and university. And that is a topic that we will be diving deep into in this episode. Now we're gonna switch things up a bit today. Throughout this episode, we'll break to hear a few excerpts from my conversation with Bina Elliott, the head of Advancing Black Pathways at J.P. Morgan Chase. You'll hear about her mission to make true economic impact within the black community, and she's going to share some excellent takeaways for students on managing their finances. We have got a great and packed episode for you today, so let's get to it. Thanks for having me on, Dre. How are you? I'm good, man. Now, typically we start the interview off by telling the guests that we need them to be real because on Needing Dough, we keep it 100. And I, I know personally, because I see you and watch every move you make, that's not going to be a problem for you. As a matter of fact, you're the king of transparency. I should probably tell you to dial it back some, but we ain't going to do that. <laughs> yeah. I, will keep it, I will keep it PG, but I will keep it 100 with you, bro. I love it. I love it. All right, that's a good place to start, though, because you mentioned that you had to develop a sense of humor as a kid, especially to deal with Grandma Mary. So how does that help you in your sports media career? Because we see you debate on a daily, and that's what you've been known for. Like you said, you're quick with it, you're quick with the tongue. Explain how that has matured and to giving you the career that you have today. Well, it was like that on the field. I was always had a response. When, when guys would say something, I was always, you know, right back at them. I think the biggest thing for me is that People think because, you know, you have an opinion and you talk it in the barbershop, you can get on, you know, you can just do this. But people don't understand. A lot of times people freeze up when you, when that red light comes on. So for me, I normally go, because I have no idea what Skip is going to say. Now, I, I go on air, I know what I'm going to say because, you know, I, I've written down, I've researched it. My, me and my research and I, Steve, we've gone over kind of the direction that I want to go in. So I, I know where I want to go. But I also need to have a retort for where he wants to go or where I anticipate knowing him that I've been with him for almost five years. Okay, I got a feeling he's going to go here. But what happens if he doesn't? 
So the thing is, you know when you play football, there's something called ad-libbing. Okay, we come out, we're going to run this play. We're anticipating a certain coverage. Well, we don't get that coverage. Well, we can't just scrap the play. Okay, well, they didn't run the coverage we wanted. So, okay, the play is gone. Let's go, let's go to second down. Let's go to third down. That's not how it is. So we call a play. We expect to cover two. We get single high safety. We're going to have to adjust on the fly. And so that's how I am. I think it serves me really well having played a professional sport. Everything does not go ideal and being able to adjust on the fly. And I've been very, and I'm, I've always been good at adjusting on the fly. Hmm. Adjusting on the fly. That's a good thing. So let's take it back to you going to school. Now, there's been an uptick in the awareness around HBCUs this year for a lot of reasons. You've seen that. It's become the it thing. But you were on that wave way, way before that. Now, you went to Savannah State. Why did you choose to go to an HBCU? For me, I was like, okay, I'll go to the military and make a career out of that. And my brother said, you know what? Does Coach Bill Davis was the head coach? He said, does uh, Coach Davis still have the scholarship? I said, yeah, well, he told me anytime that I wanted to come to Savannah State, I was welcome. He said, well, why don't you go to Savannah State for a year? And if you don't like it, you can say, well, hey, I went. College wasn't for me. You can go to the military. So I called Coach Davis. I said, Coach Davis, I want to come to Savannah State. So this was a Sunday night. Uh, and he says, okay, I'm on my way. I said, well, well, wait a minute. What do you mean you're on your way? I said, Coach, it's 930 at night. He's like, he's like hey, Holmes, somebody going to come down there and sign you for money. I said, Coach. I'm coming to Savannah State. I'll see you tomorrow morning. So he came, uh, sure enough, Monday morning at about probably around 8.30. I really didn't anticipate him coming that early, but he came, and, uh, and the rest, as they say, is history. Now, did you were you aware of what it means to go to an HBCU, or were you aware specifically of Savannah State growing up, or was this all come about just in this process where you're like, hey, I'm not able to go to these major schools, and I just got to find somewhere to go? I had, had, had no idea what a historically black institution was. I mean, I knew a lot of players. I knew Mel Blunt, Mel Blunt from the county, two counties over. I know he went to Grambling, but hell, I didn't know Grambling was a historically black institution. I know, you know, new guys uh, that went to Bethune, but I, it, I didn't, didn't make the connection. And so for me, I didn't really, really know, knew. I just like, okay, I'm getting an opportunity to go play football because at the end of the day, it was a, 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 a springboard. My job was to get to the NFL, and Savannah State was going to give me that opportunity to play football, have people come scout me, and give me the opportunity to go to the NFL. So it was it was not my destination. It was just a journey along the destination. And it wasn't until I got there and got an opportunity to talk to the professors and the doctors that I realized what a special opportunity that I had. I realized that Everybody doesn't get this opportunity. And so for me, that was the greatest thing because they were co-signing. It's almost like someone is that you're not having credit and you need someone to co-sign. Well, they were co-signing me because when I left Savannah State and went out into the world, people always ask, well, where did you go to school? I went to Savannah State. Well, when you carry on a conversation with a person or a person that a job you like to think, okay, that person is well-educated. They did their homework. Ooh, he had this. They had that. And so that's why I believe when you go to an HBCU, they understand that the eyes are really going to be focused on you. And I had professors, uh, Norman Elmore, uh, Haynes Walton, Joyce McLemore, Joanne Green. I had so many. Uh, uh, Gay Hewitt. 
that put their name next to Shannon Sharp. So I am a representation, not only of Savannah State University, but of all the professors and doctors that taught Shannon Sharp. That's deep. That, that, that's what I, I won't call it a regret, but that is one thing in my career that I wish I would have gone harder at and, and trying to get to an HBCU because if you're like me, I grew up, I didn't, I didn't know anything about HBCUs. I didn't, and, and the perception that I was given wasn't the reality that now sitting here at 35, I could say like, man, that was completely backwards. And I wish I would have had that experience and been able to come into my own that way. You kind of touched on it there, but what are some other things that you think you gained by going to an HBCU that you wouldn't have got if you had gone to, you know, a PWI or another institution? The sense of family. There's nothing like homecoming. And they come back, be it the class of 68, the class of 75, the class of 80. Everybody comes out and they're tailgating and they're cooking out. And to see all these, these people that comes back, it, it reminds you of a ginormous family reunion. Uh, and you know how the family reunion is in the black community. That's what it reminds you of. And to walk on, to get that experience, to walk on the yard and to see the, the fraternities. We, what we had, we had a, a fraternity part. We had a sorority part where you would see the different members of the organization in the park. And they would be stepping or they would be dancing and getting ready for the step show that was going to be uh, Saturday, Friday night and Saturday night. Or to go into the student center and to play spades, shoe pool, play ping pong, guys telling jokes. There's nothing like that experience. And I tell people all the time, I don't do it justice by explaining to you what it was like. I said, I believe everybody should have to experience it at least a semester of going to a historically black institution and having an opportunity to go to homecoming, to have an opportunity to go to a Greek step show or sorority step show, or to just be on the campus and to absorb the ambiance of what it's like at a historically black institution and be in the presence of greatness of some of the greatest minds not just black minds, some of the greatest minds. I remember going to class and I had, and I, you notice the guy that I mentioned first was Haynes Walton. Haynes Walton, because I believe he had the greatest impact on me. I was going to class, I had him for a government class. And every day he would come to class and he would just start writing on the board. No to no notes, he had no notes, no nothing. He'd pull out a piece of chalk, always a, long, a fresh piece of chalk, and he'd start writing on the board. And he would say, well, well, in this chapter, I want you to read this chapter, and we're going to go up a little bit tonight, but I want you to read because this is what we're going to talk about tomorrow. And the next day, he'll start writing on the board. And I remember going sitting in my room, I'm like, well, damn, he don't bring any books, he bring no notes. How in the hell does he know exactly what's in the text? In the I'm like, how did he do that? I said, one day, so I said, you let me see. I'm going to start from front to back, and I'm going to see. Maybe, maybe and he got to be reading this, because ain't no way. I start at the beginning. Book authored by Haynes Walton. He wrote the text that he's teaching us. So now all of a sudden, I sit up. I said, okay, this man wrote the book in which he's teaching us. I'm in the presence of greatness. Man, I need to absorb all of this. When I went to the NFL and came back, I would go have lunch with him, Dr. Jordan. Uh, Norman Elmore, I would always make it a point to go by their classes and talk to them, go by their office and talk to them and thank them. I never forgot the information, the, the love, the compassion that they showed me because as, as I say all the time, I am the representation. Uh, maybe I'm the most famous alum. I, I don't know if I'm the most famous. 
I probably the name that when you hear Savannah State, a lot of times people put Shannon Sharp with Savannah State. And so I wanted them to know that, you know what? Everything that you taught me, I appreciate. Everything that you done did for me, I appreciate. The knowledge that you bestowed upon me, I appreciate that sincerely. And so I believe they sincerely cared about me. They, they didn't really talk about it. I don't remember a whole lot of them talking about me as an athlete. I don't remember that. One professor, I had a professor that I taught that taught me criminology. Uh, he was one of J. Edgar Hoover's guys, and he taught the FBI, and he was retired, he was teaching. And he told me one day, he said, Mr. Sharp, he said, you don't realize how special you are in this class. He said, you could be a lawyer. He said, but I've seen you play, and I think you're going to play in the NFL. He says, but I watch the way you listen. I watch the way you write. And he said, you, you, you got a bright future. He said, that NFL thing don't, doesn't work out for you. I said, he said, I think you're going to be a damn good lawyer. It gave me confidence. But for me, it was, it was a sense of pride to have people that believed in me, not my athletic, but my academics. Because for the longest time, I believe I had gotten by because of athletics. This was the first time someone was seeing me as, as an academic, that my academics and my brain was just as prominent as my athleticism. Love that. And they cared about it too. You talked about community and family. And I always say family is not just because you share blood, it's because you share love and you share yes. knowledge. And and, yes. and and investing into you that way helped you become come into your own. Again, the person that we see here today is the media icon that is Shannon Sharp. It, it, it really is. I wasn't asking for favors. I wasn't like, well, you know, I had practice and I had this and I'm not able to do my homework. Can you give me a pass on this one? To, to know that I was turning my work in on time, that I was doing very good work. And when something wasn't correct, they would correct me and say, well, Mr. Sharp, um, this is not right. I know you can do better and I'm expecting better on the next one. I really appreciate that because at the end of the day, I want to be coached. I want to be taught. I want to, if I'm not doing it right, tell me what I need to do to make it right. And I promise you, I'll get it right. When I started Savannah State, I was in the developmental studies, which means all the work I was doing was not going towards graduation. So because uh, uh, I didn't qualify on the SAT, they put me in developmental studies. Now, I was at the bottom of developmental studies. So you got to go A, developmental studies, B, and then you got to take tests to get out. So when I first got there, the first quarter, none of what I was doing was going towards graduation. The second quarter, nothing what I was doing was going towards graduation. The third quarter, because back then Savannah State was on the quarter system. If I'm not mistaken, I think they're on the semester system now. So for the first year, every class that I took, nothing went towards graduation. And I remember thinking to myself, I was like, what the hell am I doing? I said, I'm here. If you're here, Shannon, you might as well, you might as well get a degree. I got up out of the classes. Dr. McLemore said, Mr. Sharp, and she always called me Mr. Sharp to this very day. I was in developmental study, remedial reading. She said, Mr. Sharp, she called me to her desk. And she said, Mr. Sharp, I don't want to see you in this class next, next quarter. She said, you, you have no business in here. She said, I don't know why you're in here, but she said, I see the work that you do. You come on time. You listen. You're very attentive. You write down everything that I say. You turn in the work plus extra. She said, you have, no, you have no business in this class. She said, I don't want to see you here. I don't want to see you in this class. Yes, ma'am. I got up out of there. Next one, same thing. 
So my first year, my freshman year, nothing I did went towards graduation. I got up out of there, so I'm free and clear. Starting my sophomore year, I'm a criminal justice major. I go to the, I go to the dean, and I say, I want to take overload. And he looks at me and says, well, Mr. Sharp, you just got out of developmental study classes, and you want to take overloads? I said, just give me an opportunity. Just give me a chance. And if I ever, in any classes, if I slip, I'll go down to the normal load. I went from not having any classes towards graduation my freshman year to coming two quarters short of graduating within three years. So Shannon, tell us about your finances in college. How did you manage your money and where did you get your money from? Well, there was not a whole lot of money. Um, I grew up very poor, uh, a thousand square foot, cinder block home, cement floors, tin roof that leak. I could look in my layup at night and, and see the sun and see the moon and stars from my bed because there were you know holes in the roof. I lay up, I could see the sun during the daylight. So when it rained, uh, you got wet. I remember, you know, having to put burlap bags. Well, they call them burlap, but they used to be called crocusac. And I remember putting those on the bed so the bed wouldn't get soaked. Um, I remember my, my brother, my sister and I, and my uncle, my aunts, not my, my uncles, but putting pots and pans down to catch the rainwater. So there was not a whole lot of money. It was a big thing when my grandmother would send $5 or $10 and we had mailboxes. Yeah, my sister would, would put it in, in newspaper and fold it up so they couldn't see because obviously if you got cash, you know what was going to happen to it. So it was a, it was a big thing. And my grandmother would say, you know, baby, it ain't much, but it's all granny got. And so there was not a whole lot of finances to concern yourself about. And I think that was the biggest thing because we never talked about money because we didn't have any. We didn't talk about vacations because we weren't going on anything. You don't normally talk about it. I know there are very few people that talk about things that they don't really feel concerned about. Um, I didn't get a credit card until like my, my junior year in college. I didn't know what a credit card was. I didn't know anybody that had a credit card. Even my high school coaches, when we went on bus trip, they paid with everything cash. So I didn't know anything about no credit card. I never heard, didn't know what a credit card was. But then something happened. They got my information. And they started sending me these credit cards. And I didn't think anything. I'm like, they're not going to give me no credit card. I've never had a credit card before. If they know anything about me, they know I ain't got no money. ain't got no chance of paying them back. <sighs> All of a sudden, you got five or six credit cards and $25 on this one and $25 on that one and $50 on this one. And all of a sudden, you look at it around like, uh, well, how about if I close it out? If I close it out, don't <laughs> tear it up, don't use it anymore. Ain't never know anything. I know thing about closing out. I just, I just cut the credit card up. Like, okay, I'm done. Uh, no, you're not. No, you're not. And so that thing, that was the biggest mistake I made. The mistake that I made wasn't getting the credit card. The mistake that I made was how I managed having the credit cards. So I go to the NFL and I'm going, I need, I need a car because I'm riding around, I'm, you know, my buddy's picking me up on the team, but he, he kind of like being late and I'm like, nah, I don't need, that's, that's a bad example. I called my brother and said, man, I need, I need a car. He said, well, go to the, you know, go to the Chevrolet place, go, you know, get something. I said, okay, you can, you know, you got money. I go there. See this four-door blazer? I'm like, okay, I like this one. I'm going to get that one. Um, Mr. Sharp, you're not going to be able to get it. I'm like, what do you mean? I'm like, I'm playing in the NFL. I, I can pay for this. Credit awful. Now, mind you, I'm in the NFL. I got to call my brother again. Bruh, I need you to co-sign. He's like, why? You in the league, you make money. Say, my credit bad. He said, man, I told you about the credit cards, didn't you? 
I said, yeah, you did. I said, well, you should have told me before they sent them to me. That's what you should have told me, not after I got them. And so that was the thing. It wasn't having the credit cards. It was how I handled the credit cards. And for me, I should have known better because my grandmother basically got the majority of the stuff that we got, groceries, things of that nature, on credit. I knew how credit worked because we in the summer we uh, used to work in tobacco and Mr. Joe, who was our boss, Joe Tatum, he would take us to the store and he told a lady that ran the store, her, her and her husband, Christine Sapp. Christine was her name. She said, now these boys, are gonna, they're working for me. Now, let them get credit and when I pay them on Friday or Saturday, they'll come in here and pay you. She said, well, Joe, I'm gonna start them off with $2 credit. So we get $2 worth of stuff per week. Well, you know, back then, a honey bun was a quarter, Coke was a quarter, you know, penny candy, penny cookie. So at the end of the week, we got $2. And as we paid it, she said, well, boys, this week, you can get $3 worth. Okay, and four, and five. So I understood how it worked. You pay it off, you increase your credit line. So I knew that. I don't know what the hell I was thinking, to be honest with you, <laughs> trying to be slick. So, I mean, knowing your experience with credit cards, what advice would you give students now about credit? Because to be honest, um, I was in the same situation. I got to the league and, you know, while I was using credit cards in college out of necessity of like, you know, trying to make it in the summertime and not having no money, I had to take out loans and stuff like that. I don't think I realized the impact of a credit score it had on me. To the point you're saying, I was I was trying to get a bank loan with my cash that was in that exact bank and I couldn't get approved. And that's when I really had to say it was early in my process and say, man, I got to turn this credit thing around. So what advice would you give students about credit, understanding the experience that you've had? Be smart. A lot of times I think people get credit cards to impress other people. You're trying to impress someone that really doesn't care. And I think that was the biggest thing because it made me feel a certain way. You know, I got credit cards. You know, you, you go in your back pocket, you pull out, damn, he got five, he got six credit cards. He must got money. No, he doesn't. And you have to understand, while you're trying to impress people with those credit cards, the people that you're trying to impress, they sleep good at night because they're not worried about how you're going to pay that back. You're spending, you're up at night wondering how you're going to pay that back. And so that was the thing. I mean, the mistakes that I made as young, as a freshman, as a sophomore, uh, the, the thing that really helped me is that I had a brother in the league. And so I was able to pay, pay it back. But even when, by, by that time, I had to turn the credit cards over to someone else and let them use it. And they weren't, and they weren't, they didn't tell me they weren't, they weren't paying the credit card. Then all of a sudden I look around and here I am in the league. I got to get somebody to co-sign. I go to buy a house. I'm making a million dollars. And they, I couldn't, I couldn't get, I couldn't, my credit was bad. I got to put $200,000 down on a $600,000 house. Because my credit is terrible. So you have to understand short-term action have long-term consequences. I'm doing something, you know, think I'm think I'm being, you know, man, Big Willie over here with credit card, a bunch of credit card, not understanding that, Shannon, you need to pay this back in a timely manner, in a timely fashion, and your credit will increase. And actually, it will do what you want it to do, what you needed to do which is to lift your credit score, which to make you be in good standing so you can go anywhere and get whatever you want. But you don't think about it at the time. I, it never dawned on me that me not paying these credit cards back, not closing them out properly, would have that kind of, of impact on me down the road. I learned my lesson. I tried to, to instill that in my own kids. I tried to tell, tell them, look, 
Daddy, you got credit cards. I said, well, hold on, hold on. But daddy's going to have to pay this back. I might not have to pay right now, but what happened at the end of the month? What happened at the beginning of the next month? What you think will happen? We just don't get that for free. And so I've tried to instill that in them, that financial responsibility, credit card responsibility. You got to think about the big picture. You got to think about long term. I wish someone would have sat down and had the conversation with me that I'm able to have with my kids. If you're able to pay it forward, pay it forward, give advice. And that's what I try and do. I try to save people, kids, the hurt that I had to go through, that I had to endure. Sometimes they listen, sometimes they don't. Because as my grandmother used to say, boy, nothing hurts until you bump your own head. So sometimes you can tell people something over and over and they don't get it. They have to bump their own heads for them to feel it too. But if I can save someone from going down that path, because look, I don't care how much money you got. You got bad credit, they ain't touching you. So even now, all my credit cards at the end of the, at the beginning of the next month, I'm paying that thing off. I'm not sending you the minimum. I'm not sending you. Y'all ain't going to get me with that. I love it. I don't owe nobody. All right, now it's time to hear from Bina Elliott, the head of Advancing Black Pathways at J.P. Morgan Chase. Here's Bina with some key financial tips for students heading off to college. Bina, how you doing today? I'm real good, Hawk. Thanks a lot for having me. So for Black students who are looking to apply for school and concerned about the financial stresses that come along with it, what advice do you have for them? One, it is real. I think about the amount of student debt and the cost of getting an education a day. It's a far cry from when I grew up and when I went off to college. But I will say that that the challenge of making that decision has been with us for a very long time. When I graduated from high school and wanted to go off to college, Spelman was my dream school. I really wanted to be a Spelman woman. But the reality is, is we couldn't afford Spelman. What we could afford if I worked hard and saved my money and worked all summers was an in-state school. And so that is a real challenge. But what I will tell students is, Make sure that you are leaning in and that you have a mindset of four years and not one year or one semester. Accumulating debt without a diploma is a recipe for really creating even a bigger gap around building wealth. And so think about that and be tenacious. If you identify the school of your choice, lean in. If your financial aid documents and information are not sufficient for you to afford that college, you should make sure that you're calling the financial aid office asking if there are more resources. Don't take no for an answer, but have a four-year mindset because one or two years, while it's great that you've got a little bit of college under your belt, that debt without a diploma will set you back. I can think back to when I was in college. I didn't take that great advice that you just gave, and I had some credit card debt because I needed it to survive. I was a student athlete. I started as a walk-in, was paying my own tuition, had to work, and it did set me back once I got into my professional life years until I actually got to sit down, figure out what was going on and get my handle on it and be able to use it to my advantage. For students who are uh, focusing on their studies while in school, how do they do that and then also learn financial stability at the same time? You talked about credit cards or overborrowing in order to have your to pay for your living expenses versus just your education. I don't encourage that. Just borrow enough 
to pay for your education in your school and don't overborrow for a car or to have more lavish expenses because you will ha- that all has to be repaid back. And then lastly, make sure that you are managing your credit. Companies look at your credit score to make decisions on their hiring. So you've come out, can you imagine coming out with a great GPA, but with poor credit and your employer declining your opportunity for a job, not because of your education and not because of how well you did in school, but how you managed your money. So think about that because it has long-term impact. This is such valuable advice from Bina. As Shannon also said, you should always strive to think long-term with regard to your finances. When it comes to paying for college, a mindset of four years is key. Because as Bina and Shannon pointed out, how you manage your money now has long-term impact on your future. All right, now let's get back to my conversation with Shannon Sharp. So tell me this, you grew up working more jobs than I probably have in my life. I mean, you worked on a farm, you herded hogs, you watermelon, everything in a farm you can imagine. Did you work while you were in college? I did. I did landscaping and uh, asphalt. So yeah, I worked. Uh, we caught chickens, cropped tobacco, clipped onions, uh, tomatoes, uh, loaded watermelon, baled hay, picked up pecans. We did it all. I believe kids should work a lot of different jobs while they're young because then it'll tell you what you don't want to do. All those jobs that I was doing, I knew, hey, hey, say, ain't no way I'm working like this here forever, for, for the rest of my life. You know, my grandfather worked on a farm, my uncle worked on a farm. So I just knew I, I didn't want that kind of life. And so I did all these jobs, and I'm glad I did. At the time, I didn't realize it. But at the time, it was building the foundation for what I needed to be a very good NFL player because I knew what it took to be successful. And I knew hard work. So that's what I did. From the time I was in third grade until the time I was in eighth grade, we worked. We called it from cane to cane. When you left to go in the morning, the sun wasn't up, so you can't see. And when you came home, the sun was already going down, so you can't see. And so we would shower, eat, and my uncle would come by. We worked for the Clackman Chicken Portrait and come by at about 9 o'clock, and then we got to go catch 12, 16,000 chickens. And let me tell you about the page, right? You got a dollar, a thousand. Wait, 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 wait. A dollar, a thousand? A dollar, a thousand. Not a thousand a chicken. One dollar for every thousand chickens you cook. So my question, all right, so when you're in college, you're landscaping, you have all these jobs. What did you do with your money when you got it? Did you have a bank account? And if you didn't, why Why not? No, 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 no. You had no bank. Back then, you didn't need a bank account. You got to have the money in your pocket. I can't show you the bank account. I can show you a check, but uh, you might not have no money. You might have a check and ain't got no money in the account. But if I got that thing on, if I got that thing on, I got 200, you know, I got $300. Now all of a sudden I'm big Willis now. And so it was always about having money on me. I always, I needed to have, if I had anything, I needed to have it on me. I remember my first check, I went cash the entire check and laid it out on the bed. I needed to see all $5,000 in crisp $100 bills. I ain't put it in the bank. No, I brought that check home. It's like, well, well, how do you want it? I said, I want all 100. They're like, uh, would you like to deposit this? I said, no, I would not like to deposit this. I would like for you to cash this check and give me my money. And then I went home, I laid it out on the bed, and every day I would come home and just, I was like, man, I got $5,000. Man, I got $5,000. Your first NFL check, you went and cashed it out. You kept the money on you when you were working in college. At what point did it transition and you started managing your money differently 
and said, oh man, okay, maybe cashing out every time I get a little bread ain't the thing to do. <laughs> uh, what I learned about cash, if you have it on it, you'll spend it. And a lot of times you spend it and you don't realize it and you have nothing to show for it. So I got tired of not, not really having anything to show for it. So what I started doing, mind you, I'm living in a thousand square foot home, cement floors, cinder block with a tin roof. But I got Lee Jeans, I got Calvin Klein, I got Izod, I got Dockside. I'm suited and booted because I will be fly. I will fool them. They don't know what I got going back at home. <laughs> but you see, what you see right here is like everybody thinking, man, he, man, Shannon well off. No, Shannon not well off. And then I said, you know what? I started saving. Because I used, I used to save everything. I still got a penny collection that I started when I was about eight years old. I would do chores. Like, my sister hated washing the dishes. Leave I wash the, I wash the dishes for you, but you got to give me 25 pennies. I tell my brother, well, I cut your half of the grass, but it cost you 50 pennies. It cost you 75 pennies. So I, I would save. But it's just something about, oh, I don't know. I just kind of lost my way when I got to college. You don't think. You live in the moment. And I think that's what a lot of kids, a lot of college kids do. They live in the moment. And I, that's kind of what I was doing. I wasn't thinking about, okay, Shannon, what happens when you're 25? Shannon, what happens when you're 30? What happens when you're 40? What happens when you're 50? I don't think enough people think that far down the road. I think everybody is so, so focused on the right now that they're unconcerned about down the road. And it's down the road because guess what? The right now is going to be down the road before you know it. And then that's where the problems start to arise. That's a great point. So my next question is, if 18-year-old Shannon Sharp was on the other end of the screen and he was sitting where I'm sitting right now and you had a chance to give him one piece of financial advice, what would you tell him? You don't need what you think you need. You want it. You don't need it. And you want it for the wrong reasons. Too many people want to impress because that's what we become now. We become, look at me, look what I got. We see that on social media. It's about clicks and likes. It's about followers. It's about, look at my car. Look at my money. Look at my jewelry. And so if I, if I was 18, knowing what I know now, I say, we're not thinking big enough. I say, sometimes we're very... We're very nearsighted, short-sighted in our thinking, our approach. And we got to open up our minds and not just thinking about today, but you also got to think about tomorrow. And the financial decision that you're making today is going to impact your financial responsibilities tomorrow. And so if I have had someone that could have sat me down early, it would have been invaluable. I had a brother that told me what to expect from the NFL. He was in the NFL. He told me what to expect. We didn't have anybody that had money that could sit us down and says, okay, you need to do X, Y, and Z. And if you do that, everything else will take care of itself. My brother, like I said, my brother, he told me what I could expect going to college. You need to do this. You're going to practice twice a day. It's going to be really hard. You got a lot of guys. Hey, everybody's good. You're not going to necessarily be the best or the most talented player, but you got to work your butt off. Make sure you do this. Make sure you do that. You also got to go to school. You got to stay eligible. 
But the financial aspect of it is that when you're growing up to understand financial responsibility, is that we didn't, we don't have enough of that in our community, Dre. And that's something that we're seeing now that they're trying to preach financial literacy, fiscal responsibility. They're trying to do that because we see that the credit did disproportionately affect us. Unemployment disproportionately affects us. And so that would be the that would be the one thing that I would tell myself, Shannon, think big picture. You're thinking mighty small. You're thinking very myopic. And I need you to think, I need you to think outside of them. I need you to think bigger. I need you to think in five-year, in 10-year increments, not in five-day, 10-day increments. I think the thing is for me, I like to equate financial like when I started working out, I really didn't work out until I got to college. I started lifting. And then I can almost see the results instantly. So, okay, now guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to keep working out. I'm going to work out hard. Well, you don't necessarily see the financial until way, way down the road. And so I think the thing is, like I said, once you get someone to see the bigger picture, then it's a lot easier to get them to understand financially, the financial aspects of the danger they could be heading down if they don't get a hold of this early. The one thing that you don't have, want to have to worry about, and I, I can honestly say that I never worried about when I was on the field, was anything financially. I could just play free. But if you worried about, man, I need to do this, I mean, I, I'm in the hole. I, how I'm gonna make this house payment? That's a terrible way to live your life, to worry about. And I, I saw my grandmother worry about that. I saw my grandfather worry about that. I saw bills that went unpaid because you had to prioritize. The phone bill was most important. The light bill was most important. So I know what it's like to prioritize. There's no question about that. And so, Dre, the only thing my brother and I we wanted to do growing up was to get my grandmother out of that situation. And once I realized that I could get her out of that environment a lot quicker if I saved and to make sure she stayed, because it wasn't the fact of just getting her out. Hell, a lot of people get out, but can you stay out? If you wanted to have my undivided attention, Mary Porter need to be in the sentence. If you said, I'm going to tell your granny or I'm going to tell Mary, well, you had my undivided attention. If you said Mary would be disappointed, you had my undivided attention. So once I realized, okay, Shannon, this is not about you. This is about Mary Porter. The most important thing, the woman that gave you everything but life, the woman that you've been with your entire life, that you slept in the very bed with her until you were 15. Even as my brother had a bed by himself, I still slept with my grandmother. So once I got it and put it in, that, that's the term that I had to put it in to equate financial responsibility. Financial responsibility to you, Shannon, means Mayor Porter be taken care of for the rest of their life. Done. Mm, that's deep too because, I mean, like you said, in our community, that's the importance of financial literacy, understanding your finances and planning long-term. You talked about the community and family aspect and not knowing anybody with money prior to you and your brother getting it. And I think that's why this platform is so incredible is because we can have these conversations about where we come from. And this is a way of touching them with that knowledge because they understand, yo, I, I come from a situation that Hawk comes from. I come from a situation that Shannon comes from. And now I'm exposed to this mindset. So while you're giving your advice to your 18 year old self, you are going to be touching a lot of students in that way. So my next question for you is, you talked about not having grown up around anybody 
who had money. So when you got the finances on your own, the concept of how to manage it properly was kind of foreign to you, which is why I love this platform is because I feel like us having these candid conversations helps so many people and students who are in that situation or will be in that situation and help mitigate some of those risks. So for you now, on this side of things, now that you are the person within your circle, within your community, within your family, with the finances, do you now act as a money mentor to your family members? I try to explain to them is that they look at me and they see that, man, you make this, but you don't buy anything. I'm like, what do I need? I said, I buy what I need. I said, I don't buy things just to buy it. I don't buy things just to appease people or just because I make, I make X amount of dollars is that people think I should have this. That's not how I live my life. I said, I have responsibilities. I said, I have kids. Uh, I have a mom. I have a sister. That I, have, I have enormous responsibility. So it would be wasteful of me to just think about me when I have so many other people that I'm responsible for. Now, don't get me wrong. Yes, I enjoy myself, but I'm not frivolous. And at the end of the day, it's about making sure that not only am I okay, but my kids are going to be okay, my sister, my mom. So that's how I'm, I'm, the way I was raised is that I'm, I'm big in responsibility. I'm a giver. I'm a provider. That was ingrained in me, that I'm a provider. That, so I knew that at a very young age, I'm a provider. Well, you can't be a provider if you're irresponsible. And so fast forward to where I am now, that's, that's kind of how I am now. You know, ask yourself, do you want that or do you need that? And will you still want that? Will you still need that? Will you still, will you still have the hunger for that object that you purchase, that you get a month from now, a year from now? And that's how I really look at things is that for me, man, oh, I really want that. But then I got to ask myself, well, okay, Shannon, what about three months? What about the year? You still don't want it? Or are you going to regret that you got it? Now, so Shannon, when I grew up, I mean, we didn't have much growing up. I mean, we were free lunch. My mom worked double shifts. They put us in private school, but we had a school uniform and we had more school uniforms than we had actual clothes. That's a real story. But when I hear your story of how you grew up, you make me feel like I was Prince Akeem in Zamunda. <laughs> I feel like I was living in luxury now, so I'm going to stop saying that I had it rough growing up. But my question to you is, you talked about once you got to college and once you got money, you know, you were spending a little freely to try to make sure you had the right, the best clothes. And I think how you grew up influenced that. So do you think on this side of things, now that you are financially responsible, you understand how to manage your money, what habits from the days when you were forced to penny pinch do you have now as an adult, again, who is managing their money the way that you've always wanted to? Well, that's the thing, though, because I grew up not having. And I think the thing, the biggest thing is, is that when you don't have, you penny pinch. And then all of a sudden you get a surplus. Your natural instinct is like, OK, I got a surplus. Let me spend and that's what it was because we didn't have a whole lot. So there was not a whole, there was not a whole lot going out. We didn't know how poor we was because everybody else we knew was just like we were in the same situation we were. So you don't really realize it until you go, you know, you don't take a shower until you, you know, in high school. I remember going, going to a, at a state track meet. This is my freshman year. And I never turned on the shower before. I know how to work a shower. So I remember... Like, man, I, this shower won't work. It won't even come on. 
I remember calling a, a teammate of mine, his name was uh, Rochester, but I say, uh, I say, uh, wrong. Man, this, this shower don't even work. He like, what? I said, can't, it won't come on. I can't get. He said, oh, here it is. This what? Little did he know he take a shower before, so I didn't know anything about that. Oh, to be honest with you, when I was growing up, me and my brother, we talked about all we wanted was a house that had running water, indoor plumbing, and the air conditioning. We say we want no five bedroom. Ain't say nothing about no fifteen thousand square feet, no ten thousand square feet. Can we get a house, indoor plumbing, running water, and air conditioning? That's been it. That was it. That's been a good life. That's been a good life. Been a great life. Considering never had that. Never had gone to bed and have it rain and not be wet when you wake up. So now you start thinking because I got money coming in home. Hey, Ferrari, gotta get that. Because here's the thing, when you don't have growing up, the first your first instinct is to get all the things that you didn't have or all the things that you wanted. That's why you see a lot of us in our community get, get things like we, we never had. I got a Ferrari and I'm staying at my grandmother's. It dawned on me, I was like, hold on. Shannon, you parking on the outside, not a garage now, huh? Outside. I'm like, who parks a Ferrari outside? You, dummy. Because you don't have a house. Because you thinking you cool driving around a Ferrari, but little do you know, you're you living at your grandmother's. So you're right. I, I like what you said there because I think when you grow up not having, to your point, you, would, you just wanted running water and air conditioning. So when you have that kind of, of a floor standard, anything extra feels like it's infinite, right? And it takes time for you to come and mature into that to realize Oh, just because I have extra than what my standard was, doesn't mean I doesn't have to mean spend, have it spend it or use it or, you know, it's expendable. It's actually the opposite. That's how you build generational wealth, that thinking and telling it to the rest of the family. That is some amazing insight from Shannon. I mean, it seems simple, but just because you have money doesn't mean you have to spend it. When you go from humble beginnings to becoming an NFL star like Shannon did, that could be a challenge. We'll hear more on this from Shannon in a minute, but first, let's hear more from Bina Elliott about the Advancing Black Pathways program at J.P. Morgan Chase. So, Bina, explain to us what Advancing Black Pathways is and what made you most excited to come over to J.P. Morgan Chase to lead that work. Advancing Black Pathways was launched two years ago by J.P. Morgan Chase, and it was developed to address and close the wealth gap for Black families. And we're really excited about the work because it was the first time any large Fortune 500 company had been clear around the work that they wanted to do around advancing Black communities. And we focused on building wealth and financial education, business growth and entrepreneurship, community development, and careers and skills and education. So that body of work was pretty clear around what will it take to move the needle and increase the opportunities for Black consumers and families in our country? And so I thought it was a bold move two years ago. And then we announced a $30 billion commitment in October. And I thought, as an organization, they have absolutely walked the talk around addressing what we know is a systemic issue around building wealth for Blacks in our community. And I wanted to be a part of it. So how do the Black students in our community take advantage of some of the opportunities that Advancing Black Pathways provides? 
Really easy. One, we set a goal of hiring over 4,000 students over the next five years. We're about halfway through that goal already, but we have significant programs to create internship and long-term employment. And I hope that all of the students are Googling and check out Chase and Advancing Black Pathways around our internship programs. And we also launched a fellowship program two years ago. We know that a lot of internship programs focus on juniors and seniors, but we wanted to make sure that we connected with sophomores and help them build their soft and their hard skills so they're much more prepared for that bigger internship in their junior or senior year and hopefully choose Chase as an employer of choice. And so if I don't know about you, but being a first-generation college student and getting that first job was a game changer for me. And it was where I launched my ability to grow my wealth and hopefully generational wealth for my family. And so we want to make sure that young students have that opportunity and are prepared for that opportunity to gain their first job out of college. Bina dropped some incredible financial gems throughout our conversation. But the recurring theme, specifically for students, was the importance of taking action and advocating for yourself. By taking small steps now, students can set themselves up for long-term financial success. All right, now let's get back to my conversation with the legendary Shannon Sharp. So going from college to the NFL, I mean, we both know that's a, that's a big adjustment and it changes things. Yes. And now in the job market, there are students who will also go into their jobs and it's competitive that way when they have jobs lined up prior to them graduating. So for those students who are about to graduate and may already have their job lined up, do you have any financial advice for them based on some of the experiences you had in your quest from college to the NFL and learning how to use the money that, that, that you were blessed with? The thing for me is that, because uh, in my mind, I, I just always felt that instead of getting the, the $550 a month apartment, I needed the $700 a month apartment. Why? Because people would think you live in 750, you you big balling. Well, that extra 150 or 200 bucks, I could have been saving, and, could have, and it got me to financial freedom a lot sooner than when I reached it. But you don't think like that, and that's the biggest thing. Nobody planned to fail. A lot of times, we just fail to plan. It really, it really didn't dawn on me, Paul, until my brother had a career in the injury at 29, seven years into the league. Now, mind you, I'm two years behind him, so I'm in my fifth year. Hold on, you never gonna play again? So you mean to tell me the millions of dollars are gonna stop? Yeah, then what? Oh, now I start looking at my financial records. I can't, I can't survive, I'm gonna have to go get a regular job. And I'm like, hold on, wait a minute. Who retires to go get another job if they don't have to? I wanted to work if I if, because I wanted to, I'm choosing to do this. I don't have to do it. I'm choosing to do it. So he had that career-ending injury. I look at my finances, and I'm not even close to where I need to be. So now all of a sudden, I got to like, okay, Shannon, you got to, he's 29, I'm 26. Mind you, he was first-round draft pick. He got millions just to sign. He had signed another deal, got more millions. I was seventh-round draft pick. I got 20 grand to sign. I made 63 grand my first year. You know, you know, you know, you, I look back at some of the money that I wasted and I'm like, Shannon, you had to be the biggest deep fool in the world. So it sounds like, it sounds like 
and and I, and I say this because I'm in a very similar situation. My older brother played nine years in the NFL. He's ten years older than me, so I had the yeah. benefit. But prior to me going to the league, of even what I know about finances now and, and my journeys, I got to live through his eyes. I got to see what worked and what didn't work and then apply it when I was there. Imagine the benefit of having somebody live your life 10 years ahead of you. It sounds like a lot of the things that you have done, you took the cue from your older brother, whether good, bad, or being able to witness it and live through his eyes and experience. You're the kind of person who learns by seeing and you were able to see him and apply it to your own life. I did, Hall, but... That was a blessing and a curse because I'm seeing through his, I, I'm, I see what he's buying on his salary and I'm trying to buy the exact same thing on my salary. And you got a different situation. Yeah, he had caviar salary and then I had, you know, fish and chip salary. That wasn't that going to work out. And so he's getting things, but I'm not, it's not registering on me. That Shannon, you know, he makes 10 times what you make. You do realize that. No, no, I don't. Hell, he in the NFL. I'm in the NFL. Hey, he bought a Ferrari. I want one, too. He got a Mercedes. I want one, too. He got a Rolex iced out. I want one, too. Uh, and then, you know, I'm looking at my bank account. I, I'm thinking to myself, uh, I don't think his bank account looking like mine. Because my, my money my money jumped funny, huh? So, you know, <laughs> I'm like, man, look here. Man, you got to get your act together. And then... You know, you start having kids. And so that was another thing. Oh, man, I got a responsibility now. It ain't just Shannon riding shy. It's not just Shannon riding solo. You got responsibility. You got kids. Changed my whole outlook. So as, as you as you progressed in your NFL career and you became the OG, right? Like early on, you know, you're 25, you're doing these things. The epiphany happens and you end up lasting over a decade in the National Football League, did you find yourself becoming a mentor to younger players? Because I feel like that's an age-old story yes. that most yes. NFL players go through. Hey, yes, I tried to tell the guys, guys, come on, bro. You don't need a $150,000 chain. You don't need a $200,000 watch. Why? Let me ask you a question. And, you know, and, you know back, in, back in the day, people used to get their initials. Stitched on it, you know, in the cars, you know, get the MCM, get the Gucci, you know, you get your big old name tag. I say, hold on. Or you want to get up out of that? Who you going to sell that to? You think there's another dude out there named AD that go to buy that chain? Who you going to sell it to? I'm like, bro, really? Do you really need that? I mean, for what? So what? You can pull up to the club and you can get out and, and the ladies see you with a big chain and you got your, come on, bro. I say, you don't need it. You don't need it. I say, put that money, put that money, the money that you're going to buy, spend $100,000, $200,000 on, on a chain, put that in and let it grow. Even if it only grows in 4%, you'll thank me for it later. What is, what is, the, what is the best financial advice that you received after college? My agent told me something about six years ago. And he said, Shannon, the thing that I like most about you, he says, you might not ever become a billionaire. He says, but what I like most about you, you become okay having enough. And I have. Took me a while to get there. I worked my tail off. But it's okay to have enough. And enough means I'm comfortable. I don't worry about anything. I go to bed, I sleep good. I don't worry about anything. I can take care of my responsibility. I can help my kids if I need to. I can help my brother if I need to. I can help my sister, my mom. 
And that's okay. Do I have 100 million? No, but I have enough. And I don't think enough people take that philosophy. I think everybody wants to have excess, but I'm com I'm comfortable with enough. Literally, you've been a three-year-old up until now, outworking everybody around you because it's just you know, all that you know. You know. Um, it's okay to work your butt off, work hard, extremely hard, and at the end of the day, come home and be okay with what you've accomplished. I don't. I don't look around and like I don't have enough. I'm good. I made some mistakes, financial mistakes. I did some things I think a lot of young people do because you don't think it could happen to you or the financial mistakes or whatever mistakes they might be. You don't think that can happen to you. And then when it does, where do you go from here? You learn. I might make a mistake once. I'm not going to make that same mistake twice. The greatest key to survival is not speed, size, or strength. It's adaptability. How well can you adapt? And that's what you're going to have to do financially. I adapted my way of thinking. I adapted my way of spending. And I was able to become financial secure. It's not hard. It takes discipline. That's what it takes. It takes only trying to please you. People run into the mistake when they try to please others when they judge themselves by what others have or what others don't, I judge me by me. Because if I get something that I can't afford while they're resting comfortably, I'm up at night worrying about how I'm going to pay for it. I've lived like that. I've had things that I had no business buying. I, when I wanted to move to Atlanta, they gave me a budget. Hawkins said, okay, Shannon, this is what you make. This is how much the house you should buy costs. What I do? What I do, Hawk? What you think I did? I go a quarter of a million over budget. I said, look at man. I don't know what y'all need to do, but I need to get this house. I want this house. My credit terrible. I got to put 200 grand down on the house. Well, if I'd have had good credit, 10% maybe. So what transpired just five, six years earlier starting to creep up on me. It creeped up on me when I tried to get a vehicle. Credit bad. Three years, four years later, trying to get a house, even though I'm paying the truck on time, paying my, uh, my rent on time, paying my rent to come back to Savannah State to finish up my degree on time, still hadn't built it up enough. The mistakes that I had made just five years, six years previous, the perfect storm now. So what I thought, like, okay, I'm in the NFL, I'm making lots of money, no problem. It was a problem. Those little credit cards, $25 here, $50 there, $15 there, had come back full circle to grab a hold of. And that's what I would tell kids now. It's okay to tell your friends, I don't want to go out to party and spend money that I don't have. It's okay to say, I don't want to go on a vacation and spend money I don't have. I don't need to spend money I don't have. It's okay. Prob I probably should have done that a lot more. Although I didn't go, I got things I didn't need. It was okay for me not to have a new car every other year. It was okay for me to get the $400,000 house instead of the six fifty. It was okay. But like I said, it didn't, it didn't resonate on me then because I wasn't thinking 
53-year-old Shannon, 52-year-old Shannon about to be 53 in four, three months. I wasn't thinking. If somebody can show you, get in a time machine and see, and someone says, okay, if you do this now, this is what it can be. I'm giving you, I'm a time machine. I'm telling you what you can do. I'm telling you how financially and fiscally responsible you could be if you did this. I'm the time machine that you don't have to get into because I'm the person that's traveled the road before you to can tell you where all the bumps, all the curves, all the pitfalls may be. That's me. Because I grew up in a lot like you did. Didn't have money, didn't have a whole lot, worked my tail off to get to where I am. I'm trying to save you a headache that you don't have to get. So for the HBCU students who also come from, you know, tough means or have never had access or have never been exposed to some of these things, what is the first step for them in learning that adaptability that, again, you have been, you know, through and tried and true in throughout the course of your life? See yourself not today. Because if you see yourself as today, if, if only today is important to you, you can't see yourself 5, 10 years, 15 years from now. Okay, what and how do you want to see yourself five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years from now? Because these are the steps today that's going to help you get to where you need to be the 5, 15, 20 years from today. You got one or two choices. You can be stable or you can be struggling. And trust me, having struggled, that's not something you want to be doing. Because if you're struggling not 18, you don't want to be struggling at 30. You don't want to be struggling at 40 and 50. You need to take the necessary steps now to put you on a path that you will be responsible, that you will be well off, you will be comfortable, that you don't have to worry about, man, how am I going to pay this bill? How am I going to pay that credit card? That's a, that's a bad way to live. I, I remember calling my grandmother in 1987. And back then we had a payphone. We had a community payphone in the hall. We had two payphones. And I remember calling my grandmother, call collect. I like to play, place a collect call to Mary Porter from Shannon Sharp. My grandma picked up the phone. The lady says, I have a collect call to Mary Porter from Shannon Sharp. Will you accept this call? My grandmother said, no. She said, I can't pay this $50 phone bill I got now. And hung the phone up. The operator said, Miss Porter says she will not accept the call. Thank you. Hung the phone up. I go back to my room. I'm crying. I said, man, I don't ever want to be in a situation. I don't want to. I don't, I don't ever want to be in a situation where I can't talk to my kids or I can't talk to somebody because of a, I got to worry about a bill. It made me more determined to get to the NFL. No question. It made me more devout in my pursuit. It drove me even more. I lifted more. I ran harder. I ran longer. But it still didn't make me financially responsible. Even my brother was trying to talk to me and say, bro, you said that you wanted to make sure Granny was out of this environment, but you said you wanted to keep Granny out of this environment. You lose all this money. How do you keep Granny out of this environment? How do you keep her in that nice home? How do you make sure your kids are going to be able to have it? Because you said you wanted your kids to have better than what you had. It clicked. And then all of a sudden it made sense. Everything that I had been dreaming of, everything that I had thought about, all of a sudden made sense to me. Now, all of a sudden, buying a watch 
didn't give me the same high. Saving gave me the high. Seeing at the end of the year what the money that I would have bought for that, what I would have paid for that watch, what it had done gave me the high. So now things that people could not see got me excited. It wasn't the car. It wasn't the clothes. It wasn't the house. It wasn't the watch. It was what they couldn't see that gave me the greatest peace, the greatest sense of accomplishment. After you got drafted, you went back to Savannah State to finish your degree. Why was it important for you to finish your degree at Savannah State and finish your degree in general? Because you're making tons of money in the NFL. Because I didn't know, I never wanted anyone to ask me where did I went to school. I wanted them to ask you where you graduate from. I wanted them to say, I'm a graduate of Savannah State University. I wanted that diploma. I needed that. Because I felt Mary Porter sent me for two reasons. She sent me to Savannah State for two reasons. To go play the NFL and to get a degree. Now, I didn't know which one was going to happen first, but I knew they were going to happen. Because people didn't think I could do it. No, I hadn't done it yet, but I'm going to show you I'm going to do it. Oh, man, Shevin, man, yeah, he good at Glenville, but, but when he go there, there's going to be other people. Okay. Uh, he, you see them grades he got? He ain't going to graduate from Savannah State. Okay. i show you better. I can tell you. Because I remember when I first got to Denver, there were a lot of guys that had already had their degrees. And they were like, man, you ain't going back to school. I said, I'm going to get my degree. And then I realized I'm special. I go to an HBCU. I got a very unique experience. I got an opportunity to get taught by some of the greatest minds, not just black minds, some of the greatest minds. And they taught me my worth. They taught me my history that I didn't really know existed. That, hey, Shannon, you and people that look like you did a lot for this country, a lot more than you previously read. I feel a sense of pride. I feel a sense of honor. Every time I see an HBCU, not just Savannah State, me and Michael Strahan, he went to Texas Southern. Aeneas Williams, he went to Southern. And we get together, we talk. And it's the same thing. Man, sense of family. Man, homecoming. I would not trade that experience to go anywhere else. I needed to go to Savannah State. I needed to go in 1986. I needed Bill Davis to be my head coach. I needed Haynes Walton, Norman Elmore, Joyce McLemore, Joanne Green, Gay Hewitt, Dr. Welch, Steve Smith, Scott Simpson. I needed them more than they ever needed me. Can you speak to the big picture impact that you feel HBCUs have on our society? I'm our vice president, Madam Vice President. HBCU alone. Spike Lee, some of the some of the great people that you wouldn't expect got their education from an HBCU. Samuel Jackson. Uh, you look at some of the greats, uh, George Washington Carver, Dr. King. When I sit back and I think, and I see the impact that so many Black HBCU alums and the role they played in society today, and the role they played in shaping America as a whole, gives me a sense of pride. I was taught by some of those great minds, and the sense of pride that we have is like when we go back, it's like we never left. And once you go there, it's in you. And you understand there's a huge, huge responsibility that you're undertaking 
because you're the represent you you represent that institution. They're giving you their best so you can put forth your best in the world. HBCU, my university in particular, Savannah State University, Tiger Paws, man, orange and blue tigers, all the way. Never forgot it, never gonna forget it. What they did for me, what they continue to do for me. There's not one time that I went out into the world that I didn't think about what I'm representing, who I'm representing. Not only was I representing my family, Mary Porter, my brother, my sister, I represent Savannah State because I know they gave me their best. And anything less than me giving them their best as being the best person, the best representation of that institution would have been disrespectful would have been cheated of the gift that I've been given. Shannon, to say that your story is inspiring is an understatement. To say that you have been completely candid and transparent is another understatement. So I will end just by saying, I thank you for all the wisdom that you have given in this interview and living up to being the people's uncle and spreading love and knowledge to your community and family. Thank you for joining us here on Needing Dough, man. Oh, thank you, bro. That's it for this episode of Needing Dough, the podcast presented by J.P. Morgan Chase and Uninterrupted. J.P. Morgan Chase wants to make the economy work better for everyone. As part of this work, they've made a $30 billion commitment to advance racial equity, focus on driving inclusive recovery, supporting employees, and breaking down barriers of systemic racism. Visit jpmorganchase.com forward slash path forward to learn more. We will be back with a new episode soon. Until then, make sure you rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. It's free. It helps other people find the show. And that way, you'll never miss an episode this season. Our executive producers are myself and John Fontanelli. This episode was produced by Logan Castradale, and our editor and engineer is Chris Watherspoon. And I'm Andrew Hawkins a.k.a. Hawk, telling you what a wise man always told me. A penny saved is a penny earned.